Welcome to Peace Lab, a podcast focused on faith, current events, and peacemaking from a Mennonite perspective. I'm your host for this week's episode, Jason Boone of the Peace and Justice Support Network. Peace Lab is a partnership between PJSN and the Mennonite Inc. magazine and website. Today I'm talking with Ben Weidman. Ben is the campus pastor for Third Way Collective, a Mennonite ministry on the campus of Penn State University. If you're interested in thinking about how do we take this great Mennonite message and theology and how do we present it to young people, how do we work in a context of ecumenical faith groups and multi-faith groups, but still be true to who we are and still keep Jesus at the center of our peacemaking, this is the conversation you want to listen into. Ben thinks deeply about these things, and he does more than think. He puts, puts it into action. So let's catch up with Ben, hear about Third Way Collective, how they're presenting this gospel of peace, and living it out on the campus of Penn State. Ben, thanks so much for joining us on the Peace Lab podcast. It's been a long time since we talked. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jason. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's really good to talk to you and to uh, connect again as someone who's doing similar kinds of work out there in the world, and uh, it's my pleasure to be here. I always enjoy talking to you, and I know our listeners are going to be really interested to hear what you're doing. You have a unique ministry. Tell us about the Third Way Collective. Two things. First, how it got started, and then what is it? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's a um, it's got a long story, really. Uh, for many years, uh, University Mennonite Church here in State College, Pennsylvania, has been thinking about what it would look like to have a uniquely Anabaptist campus ministry at Penn State University. There have been a few moments where the church has partnered with other congregations to collaboratively work at campus ministry, um, but for a number of years, there hadn't really been anything going on. And and so it became clear to a small group at the church that they wanted to do something about that. And as they were sort of taking a look at the landscape of uh, Penn State, they noticed that while there were more than 60 faith groups on campus, no one was really focusing in on kind of a Christ-centered peace and social justice uh, movement. Most of the, especially the Christian groups, are kind of, um, I don't know, about discipleship, about kind of us and God, uh, personal spiritual experience, and and in some ways creating kind of um, safe bubbles for Christians to exist together. And and so the, the people at University Mennonite Church said, well, let's try and do something a little different and hired me in the fall of 2014 to launch uh, Third Way Collective. We called it that um, for a number of reasons. One, we uh, recognized that if we call it Mennonite Campus Ministry, we're going to sort of be limiting ourselves to the Mennonite students at Penn State. And two, um, we wanted it, even though we wanted it to be inclusive to all, we wanted it to at least tie back to the tradition that it's coming out of. And since Third Way gets used throughout the Anabaptist tradition, uh, we thought that might be a good way to um, both be uh, resonating back to the tradition and also open to whoever else wants to join along. We also chose the word collective intentionally because um, we thought, you know, for students who are overcommitted and overextended, Joining one more group is going to be a challenge, but being a part of a collective, something that you can um, connect and engage with as you are able, 
we think uh, creates maybe a more hospitable kind of connecting opportunity. And uh, it's been interesting to to go through those first two years and to figure out what's worked and what hasn't. Well, let's talk about your role in this for a second, Ben. Third Way Collective, is this something that you've had designs for in previous uh, experiences? Have you wanted to work in a college atmosphere, or is this an opportunity that sort of came out of left field? What brought you into this mix? Yeah, I would say my own calling as a minister, as a pastor to people has been shaped by a number of different things. Uh, I sort of ended my time as an undergrad thinking that seminary was the next step, uh, but was encouraged by my academic advisor at the time to consider taking some time off before getting into uh, graduate level education. And the thing that I filled that time with was college recruitment. I had gone to Eastern Mennonite University and I thought it would be really fun to just travel around the country, uh, connecting to high school students and, and talking to them at that uh, stage of life and to tell them about how much fun I had at EMU. What I ended up discovering then was that I felt like a pastor in that space. And I, I knew then that I wanted to connect in some way with that sort of young adult era of, of your life when you're stepping away from your family for the first time and trying to make sense of what you believe on your own, building your own foundation. And so by the time I ended up going to seminary, that was in the back of my head of sort of how do I, how do I figure out a way where I can be a pastor to people like this? Um, my, uh, I, I went out to Fuller Theological Seminary in California, and while I was out there, I did an internship at Occidental College in their Office for Religious and Spiritual Life. And they, um, that experience really showed me uh, how I could be uh, a kind of a chaplain to people uh, from all different walks of life. Uh, that office um, is small, but it, it works with like several different faith traditions, including uh, Islam, uh, there's a Jewish student organization, uh, many different kind of flavors of Christianity, a Buddhist group, and uh, it was powerful to to try and figure out then how I, as a Mennonite, um, can connect with students from other traditions and be a pastor to them, walk with them, despite the differences in our tradition. Um, and it, anyway, that whole time really did affirm campus ministry somewhere where I want to go. Now, somewhat unfortunately. Uh, at the end of my seminary time, as I started to look around at jobs, almost all of the openings in campus ministry, the very first question they asked was, what tradition are you ordained in? And uh, because the Mennonite church doesn't ordain you right out of school, you've got to get a job first. I was kind of in a, a tight spot. So I got a position at Salford Mennonite Church as a pastor for youth and young adults in a sort of traditional pastoral context. Um, in part to get some practical experience working with youth and young adults, but also to work towards ordination so that then I could go out and uh, consider some of the openings out there. In the three years that I was at Salford, uh, University of Mennonite Church came to the point of wanting to launch this, and I happened to be at a convention in Phoenix um, when one of the members, a long-term member, John, uh, sorry, uh, Jim Rosenberger, uh, led a seminar uh, in which he explained that this congregation in State College was about to launch this campus ministry. And I, I actually texted my wife from the seminar and said, hey, would you ever think about moving to State College? And so that was sort of the, the origin for all of that. Well, that's fantastic. So you got a great foundation for this. you got a supporting congregation. You've got the, your life experience and education experience that got you here. 
Uh, Penn State's a huge campus, right? What did you say, 46,000 students, yep. give or take? So all that seems to be a, a good opportunity for Third Way Collective. So what does it look like sort of on a day-to-day -day or a week-to-week -week basis? What does Third Way Collective do, and how do you, I guess, represent or be a Mennonite presence in that environment? Yeah, that's a great question. We have, to be honest, we're still trying to figure that out. We know at the core that we are trying to be a group that challenges religious organizations to think about how their faith calls them to peace and social justice. And we know that we want to be present with the justice organizations to say, hey, look, people of faith need to be a part of this movement as well. We're also trying to do our own stuff. And so we've had um, opportunities in our first two years to plan and organize lots of different kinds of events. Uh, it became very clear early on that, <clears throat> excuse me, became very clear early on that having connections around a table and spaces that didn't require a specific agenda were where the most kind of vibrancy in life was taking place. So our, our schedule now has leaned very heavily on home-cooked meals from our congregation, uh, pizza and movie nights, uh, gatherings in local restaurants and pubs, spaces where people can be around a table, can share a meal, um, sort of in a communion-esque kind of break bread together and, and figure out what is happening in their lives with each other. Uh, our conversations, because of who we are and how we uh, posture ourselves on campus, are almost always focused on current social issues that are going on. Um, right now, we've just been through our presidential election, and so most of our gatherings have been centered on you know how people are feeling in the wake of that. Uh, and, and it's been interesting to just watch what happens organically when we provide spaces and, and see students connect with each other. That's interesting to hear, Ben, that the students are they're more energized and they feel more compelled to do these things that are, I guess, informal in a way, um, but, but they're not programmed, I guess, is, is a better way to put it. Does that, so, that sort of lines up with what we think about millennials and younger folks, that they don't want to come to religious institutions for program sort of top-down things. They want organic, relational-type activities. That seems to be the, uh, the general view of that, and I guess you're seeing that on campus. Are, are there other things about you know, working with this demographic uh, that you've noticed that we need to be thinking about, not just for Third Way Collective, but be thinking about as church? Yeah, absolutely. I, I made that mistake early on in thinking that I could sort of top-down program things uh, in our first uh, year plus, really. We had a, an event that we called Third Way Conversations. It was started with the premise that we would have a conversation around the table, but I invited a guest speaker in with a specific agenda or a specific cause or a specific kind of faith perspective to lead the conversation. But it felt at times like students were so – the students who were coming – we're entering into just one more classroom space where someone was giving them a lecture and they get enough of that. Um, so yeah, we kind of scrapped that and shifted some of our, some of our meals that I mentioned before still have a guest speaker with a specific, uh, you know, cause or issue. We've had people come through town from Mennonite central committee or Mennonite mission network, and they've participated in those meals as one more person around the table, but it's not them, you know, sort of leading the conversation or the discussion. Um, yeah, millennials are a really fascinating uh, group to work with, and just full disclosure, I'm right on the edge. So uh, some uh, ways of categorizing put me as a millennial and some as a Gen Xer. And so there are parts of who I am that really resonate with the people I'm working with and other parts where I'm like, I don't, I don't understand these people at all. Um, 
One of the challenges is, uh, you know, what it means for this generation to commit. Uh, I think there is, especially at a campus like Penn State, where there are 1,100 clubs and organizations, there's always something else going on. And so I, I am connected with a lot of students where Third Way Collective is something they want to connect with, but they always have it sort of in their back pocket as like, if I don't have something else that I'm committed to, then I'll check out what, what Ben has going on. Um, that makes it really challenging to build a deep sense of community or a, a core critical mass when we're just one of the smorgasbord of options out there. Um, the other kind of dynamic that I'm finding is that scheduling stuff, while there's comfort in knowing that things are happening in a regular way, students are also uh, seems like far more willing to jump into something that seems spontaneous or like it hasn't really been planned. And so I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way to, for my own sanity, kind of map out the semester as we go along, but also to present stuff in a way that uh, doesn't make it feel like this is the same thing we do every week, but but something new and fresh and exciting. Uh, I'm thinking of a very clear example of this. Several weeks ago, we had a home-cooked meal where our, ho where our host happened to be sick. And so they called me kind of early afternoon and said, sorry, we're just not going to be able to host unless everyone wants to get sick. That's not a good idea. And so immediately I put a message out to our Facebook group and said, you know, our host canceled tonight, so sorry for the few of you who have RSVP'd to say you're coming. Instead, let's just go to this Indian buffet downtown, and, and whoever wants to join me at 6 o'clock can join me. And we ended up getting twice as many students as had originally RSVP'd for the event that night. And I thought, you know, what's happening here where uh, the spontaneity of the event was far more appealing than the sort of regular thing that, that we normally do? Um, so, yeah, I, it, it makes it really challenging for someone in my position or for people thinking about creating more spaces like this to know, you know, what the blueprint or the roadmap is, because in some ways millennials prefer there not to be a roadmap. And, uh, and that makes it really, really challenging. And so who's coming to these gatherings and these dinners and these spontaneous flash mob uh, events that seem to be happening? Uh, you know, thinking specifically about you coming from Mennonite background, supported by Mennonite church, but you're not connecting just with the Mennonite students or only with the Mennonite students, or how does it break down when you, when you think about the students who are in the third way collective universe, what, what are, what are their faith backgrounds like? Yeah. Wow. We haven't done a flash mob yet. Maybe we do need to do a <laughs> peace and justice themed musical number on campus somewhere. Uh, yeah. Our students are um, actually not necessarily coming from the Mennonite background. It's been a, a bit of a shock, uh, but maybe something that we should have anticipated. Uh, most of the Mennonite students who come to Penn State, and we think there are more than 500 on campus, uh, I think see that as an opportunity to step away from their Mennonite tradition for a few years. And so the students who are coming are actually uh, people who are frustrated that their tradition, their faith background, isn't providing them with a way to engage peace and social justice. Um, and some of them are coming from a, a space of uh, being an atheist or agnostic, no faith, and are are just intrigued by what it means to uh, kind of redeem Christian tradition in this way and to uh, sort of figure out a way that faith can be active and proactive in the world. Um, so my officers, my student officers who make up our official club organization on campus, um, I've had students in the past from the Buddhist tradition, uh, very committed people from uh, uh, sort of the more 
liturgical traditions like Episcopalian and Catholic traditions. Um, and student, uh, we have very active student right now who would describe themselves as being an agnostic. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's really, really interesting to watch how that all comes together and to see how some of them uh, start to think again about their own faith that they grew up in and, uh, and what an organization like this can, can do, possibly, when we kind of step away from uh, building walls uh, of belief statements to join and to just say, you know, we want to engage with whoever is willing to enter into this space. Well, that's interesting to hear. And you and I have had some conversations in the past, and we're, we're both interested, as are a lot of people, of figuring out, so how do we present these Mennonite faith, Mennonite belief, this great pacifist Anabaptist theology we have? How do you present it to a public that uh, might be suspicious, one, of organized religion in general, but also they, they fall into the same old stereotypes, I suppose, of saying, well, you're Mennonite, that must mean you're Amish, you know, yada, yada, right. yada. How, how right. do you present a face that's uh, that's not off-putting to a to a general public? So how do you approach that on a campus like that, where so if the Mennonite uh, population isn't the backbone necessarily of of the campus, um, what are some of the keys that you say when you introduce yourself and, and tell them about your background? What do you emphasize to uh, to find that common ground and and hopefully uh, develop a relationship with the folks who aren't coming from a Mennonite background? Yeah, it's tough because peace, justice, and faith can be can encompass pretty much anything. Um, figuring out the connection with the student is a real challenge. One of our student officers last year was kind of pitching the organization to uh, a fellow student, and I happened to be in the same space. And uh, one of the things they led with was, "We're a Christian organization. We're not all about Jesus, uh, like the other groups are." Oh. And I. <laughs> and and, uh, and she saw my eyebrows go up, and I uh, and then said, "Oh no no, I I know Ben. You think all that we do is Jesus. I just mean that we're not shoving Jesus down people's throats." Right. And I thought that's really interesting. You know, that was the thing for them that was most important to clarify that we weren't someone who's going to like force you to uh, to engage a doctrine, um, but there was a doctrine kind of behind it. And I think I think we need to figure out a better way to articulate that because I don't I really don't like you know when a, a student of mine says we're not about Jesus that that to me is is actually the opposite of what we're doing everything we do is about um, you know practically living out this example that we have in the Gospels right um, but we have to figure out a way to say that uh, and to say it in a way that's not um, I don't know offensive to people and uh, and that's a real challenge. I, th I think, you know, the old, uh, the old kind of Anabaptist and, and, you know, other traditions have this, the model of like, let your, let your life lived out, be your gospel message. I think that's really what we have to keep doing on a campus like this. Um, people see our works and see that we're showing up to Black Lives Matter protests or we're walking in the pride parade or we're standing with Muslim students who are feeling, um, you know, persecuted just because they wear a hijab or uh, because they have a, a full beard or something like that. Um, when people see those kinds of things and they see the Christian label attached to us, it changes their worldview dramatically. And then they start to engage and wonder what's going on here with this organization. Um, yeah, I, I have a, a really good friend who uh, is a student with InterVarsity on campus, and we have really good conversations. He is just flabbergasted at how 
uh, Third Way Collective has been able to attract uh, queer students, LGBT students, uh, students of color, students from other faith traditions, students who would say that they don't believe in God, to our events and activities. Um, because, in his mind at least, InterVarsity fails on all of those fronts. They say they want all those people to be there, but no one ever comes. Now, he pushes back on me and says, you, you, you really need to do a better job at presenting the gospel as a choice to people who do end up coming into your spaces. Um, but I think part of the reason that whole kaleidoscope of people connect with what we're doing is that we're not trying to push um, a theology on people uh, from the moment they enter the door. Uh, we, we see our theology and how we are acting out uh, our lives on campus. And we're calling people to um, the third way. We're calling them to be neither left nor right, neither, uh, you know, uh, really violent or completely passive. We're calling them to something that's a little bit different and deeper than the sort of divided world that we're living in. That's interesting you bring that up, and you, you talked a little bit about uh, the election before, but there, there's a big event that just recently happened, and, and that's going to be a case, I imagine, where people are looking to say, okay, well, what do you do now? Not what you say, but the, let me let me judge you by your actions. In the aftermath of of this election, a lot of people are, some people are happy, a lot of people are, are pretty bummed, some people are pretty upset. Uh, Third Way Collective, how have you responded to it? Have, have you been asked personally, or has the organization uh, been asked to respond, or how have you been helping students on, on the other side of, of this previous nasty election? Well, it seems pretty clear in my mind that there are groups of people who are uh, very fearful after the election. And so one of the very first things I did uh, after the election was visit my colleagues at the LGBT Student Center, at the uh, Cultural Center on campus, and the Spiritual Center on campus. And I met lots of people there, um, both staff persons and students, who were just in a lot of pain. And had I not had a relationship already, it would have been sort of strange for me to just come in post-election and, like, wander around and... uh, uh, you know, say, hey, does anyone need someone to talk to? <laughs> it didn't. I didn't have to do that because when I visited all those places, I, there were friendly faces who recognized me and knew who I was, who were able to sit down and talk um, about what was going on with their lives. Uh, yeah, it's about building relationships and it's about fostering the kinds of connecting points so that when something troubling or challenging comes up, we already know who the people are who might need us to stand with them. Today we have a protest on campus. It's a, uh, it's sort of part of the national movement of the not the hashtag not my president uh, protests that are going on. I don't necessarily agree with the idea that that we should reject the political system that arrived at this uh, presidential uh, candidate, but I'm going to be showing up there with my pray for peace, act for peace flag. I know I will see people who know me and respect the work that I do. And I'm going to come with bouquets of flowers to hand out to people if it feels tense, if it feels like it needs someone to just offer a peaceful symbol. And and I don't think I could do that without all of the sort of legwork of just meeting people where they are. I think if I had come into this campus with more of a sort of vocal agenda, um, I'd probably it'd probably just still be me and one or two students. Uh, it wouldn't be sort of this network of uh, connections that that Third Way Collective has been able to uh, build. Ben, you're out there on the frontier for us in a way. 
helping us understand how to navigate a new context, how to be peacemakers, how to live it uh, in different environments and in different ways. So it's just great to hear about Third Way Collective. We're going to want to catch up with you again and just hear how things evolved. seems like you're learning a lot uh, that the rest of the church can benefit from as we're thinking about what does it mean for us to live this out and how do we engage with folks. So thanks for the work you're doing up there, and thanks for spending some time with us today. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I've talked already about building relationships, but it's been interesting just being in spaces has uh, invited me to the table of so many other things. There's a group that came out of the um, Black Lives Matter protests and the Ferguson violence a year and a bit ago uh, in our community called Campus and Community in Unity. It's a group of clergy and local law enforcement and Penn State professors trying to make sure that that sort of thing that happened in Ferguson uh, doesn't happen in our community so that when there is an issue of racism or injustice, we can step up and be part of the solution before it gets out of hand. Uh, That's a really powerful space to occupy as a Mennonite minister and as someone who I think, um, yeah, people see Mennonite minister and think, yeah, you're right. They assume the uh, plain clothes or the, kind of quiet people who don't engage. But that's been really powerful. Um, There's another group called uh, Learning to Live, What's Your Story? that I helped to get off the ground, just trying to create more spaces in our community for people who have been hurt or grieving to heal and and learn from each other as we carry each other's stories. Uh, All it took was me being uh, meeting with people and having someone say, hey, I think you would be part of you should be a good part of this group getting off the ground. And um, those kinds of relationships are invaluable, especially when we've got tense moments that, that come up. That's a good word for us all uh, as we're living in these tense times. Invest in those relationships. You don't know necessarily where they're going to go, but it's going to put you in a better position uh, to be a peacemaker when the time comes. Yeah, and I should say to, to have a congregation that supports this kind of work I think is uh, – pretty rare in, in our time. So many churches, especially because of shrinking budgets and dwindling attendance, are kind of circling the wagons. But for University of Mennonite to have the foresight to say, we are going to employ Ben as a pastor who doesn't really serve our congregation, but who is sent out into the world to sort of dwell and be present with people who will never enter our doors. That says so much about the kind of forward-thinking uh, people who got us to this point. Um, I'm not quite sure how to uh, empower other congregations to go about doing it because you do need some resources to do it. You know, it, 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 it takes, it takes time and it takes uh, people and it takes money. And those things aren't necessarily available at all congregations. Um, But I feel really fortunate to have ended up in this space. You're right though. That does speak well to the the congregation and again, I think it's something we have to be thinking about as as the church in in total. How are we going to start to get outside of our walls? How are we going to be active in overcoming these walls of hostility that are so present in the culture and in our political systems and in all our systems? So thanks for what you're doing for what you're doing again, Ben. Always a pleasure to talk to you. We'll catch up with you again, hopefully sooner than later next time. Thanks so much, Jason. I really appreciate it. Thanks to Ben for hanging out and talking to us for a bit. Hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Thank you for tuning in. And you can always listen to episodes of Peace Lab at a lot of different places on Stitcher Radio, on SoundCloud, 
or you can check us out on the website of the Mennonite or the website of the Peace and Justice Support Network. Special thanks to Mennonite Mission Network for sponsoring the podcast, and special thanks to David Fisher-Foss for performing and recording our theme song.